The End Times, Daniel's 70 Weeks. I believe we should give at least some thought to the fact that this small library of books we call the Bible is primarily from a Jewish perspective. It's a Jewish book. And the Old Testament, it tells the story of the Jews from the time that they were created from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and Israel became the Jews. And their history continues from that time up until about 400 years before Christ, where the Old Testament closes. And the New Testament, it's also Jewish. Jesus was a Jew, and so are all the apostles and most of the disciples in the gospel. Paul even referred to himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews in Philippians 3.5. So looking in the scripture at the entire program for humanity should be done with some respect toward the Jewishness of the scriptures and God's purpose for the Jews and the ultimate plan of their redemption. And when we do so, things begin to make more sense, at least to me they do, because the Jews come into the spotlight in the end time scenario, especially the period of Great Tribulation. God promised Israel a new covenant in the Old Testament, and in this new covenant, things are going to happen. They're going to get a new heart, his spirit was going to be in them, his law was going to be written on their hearts, etc. And that hasn't happened yet. Israel as a whole is still in a state of rebellion against God. Sin is just as prevalent in Israel as it is everywhere else. But that's going to change when God brings this entire nation to a place of repentance and they submit to their Messiah, or Christ. Now let's see if we can get a better understanding of the Jews' role by looking at four verses in Daniel chapter 9 through Jewish eyes. Daniel chapter 9 verse 24, it says, Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, and that word anointed one means Messiah, it's Mashiach in the Hebrew, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, or literally seven sevens. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty two weeks, an anointed one, or Messiah, Mashiach, shall be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war, desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. Simple, right? Now you fully understand the end time scenario. So let's begin with the word that's translated weeks in this version of the Bible. It literally means sevens. It's a unit of time, and there are units of seven days, units of seven weeks, months, etc., and units of seven years. And without getting into a lot of explanation about it, to me, there seems to be no other option but to consider this 70 periods of seven as seven-year periods, because every other option does not make any sense. It's pretty cool when you interpret it years. It is obviously the correct way, in my opinion, to interpret this. So 70 units of seven years, or 490 total years, are decreed for your people. Now Daniel was an Israelite, or a Jew, so when it says it was for your people, Daniel, it's obviously Daniel's people, the Jews. And when it says your holy city, that's obviously Jerusalem. So at the conclusion of this 490-year period, 
several significant things are going to occur for the Jews. Number one, to finish the transgression, and transgression means rebellion. The Jews have been in rebellion against God continually throughout time. And remember, this prophecy is for Daniel's people specifically. The Gentiles are not in mind here, but obviously included, since we're in the same rebellion against God as well. So the rebellion between the Jews and God will cease. And how does this happen? It happens when Messiah, or Christ, sets up his kingdom on earth and he rules from Jerusalem, like the scriptures say. Second thing, to put an end to sin. When Messiah is ruling his kingdom on earth, sin will be restrained as he rules with a rod of iron. You can read Psalm 2 about that, meaning that there's not going to be any bending or twisting his will. Three, to atone for iniquity. The Jews will have atonement for their past sins, which will now be paid for. For believers trusting in Jesus, we understand this means the cross where the sins of the world were paid for, and the Jews as a nation will partake of that holy sacrifice. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. When Messiah comes, righteousness will thrive in the new kingdom. Number five, to seal both vision and prophet. When Messiah sets up his kingdom on earth, there will be no need for visions from God or prophets because God will be reigning with us. We can seek Messiah and learn what his will is from him personally. Number six, to anoint a most holy place. Part of this new covenant that God spoke of in the Old Testament, it includes his sanctuary being established in their midst. So a new sanctuary is going to be established during the reign of Messiah. And Ezekiel chapter 40, you can read about that, the description of it. And the most holy place, which is the most sacred room in the temple, that place will be anointed and ready for service, be up and running. So at the conclusion of this 490 years, Messiah, he's going to set up his kingdom and bring about all these things. And none of these things are in effect yet for the nation Israel. So this 490-year block of time, it has not ended yet. And this is confusing because Daniel lived in the 500s BC, which means these things should have happened already. But the 490 years are broken up into three periods of time. So let's continue reading the prophecy. Verse 25, Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one or a Messiah, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So the kickoff date for the 70 weeks to begin, or the 490 years to begin, is the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem. So do we have anything in scripture where it's declared to go out and restore and build Jerusalem? Yes, we do. After the time of Daniel during the Persian Empire, which Daniel was alive during, Nehemiah is a Jewish man who is serving in the king's court. He gets approval to rebuild Jerusalem. In Nehemiah chapter 2.5, it says, And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that's Jerusalem, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy. 
and the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. So it sounds like the word went out to restore and build Jerusalem to me. But what was the date? Well, going back in the chapter to verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And that goes on and leads into that conversation with the king. But there is a time period there. And scholars determined that the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes was March of 445 BC. So there's the kickoff date. So continuing in Daniel chapter 9 verse 25, it says, the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to a coming of an anointed one, a coming of Messiah. So from the point where the word goes out to restore and build Jerusalem until the coming of Messiah, there is going to be seven weeks, which seven sevens, 49 years, then 62 weeks, which 62 sevens, 434 years, add the two together and you get 483 years which falls short of the 490. But if you're interested in this and you go back and you read resources on it, you'll see that from March of 445 BC, fast forward 483 years, Messiah came. That's right smack dab in the middle of Jesus' ministry. And some argue that it actually is the day where he declared himself king on Palm Sunday. Sir Robert Anderson has written a book, The Coming Prince, and it outlines his math on it. And there are other people that have other ideas, and I don't know if the math is correct because that's way outside my wheelhouse. But if you're interested, check it out online. It's online. I think you can look at that. Regardless of if that's true or not, the time frame lands right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, and that's why I believe, without a doubt, that the 70 weeks or the 77s are units of seven years because it just makes sense. It lands right there. When Messiah comes... Yeah, Messiah did come exactly when it says it would happen. But there's still a seven-year period left. The first seven units of seven years, or 49 years, is likely the time that it took to actually rebuild that city. And we may think, no, it's a long time to rebuild a city. But without heavy equipment, removing all the debris that was left over from its destruction, mainly rocks, that would mean everything had to be done manually, and this would take time. And reading Ezra and Nehemiah, both of those books, it was definitely a troublesome time. The neighboring peoples did not want the Jews to rebuild their city and repopulate the land. That was very clear. So all of that came true. All that's history. So up to this point, the prophecy, things are somewhat understandable. It may be kind of overwhelming for someone who's never heard it, but you look at it and you go through it. It's like, oh, I get it. Okay, that makes sense. So Daniel, he's told that the 490 years, the 77-year periods of time, they're going to be broken up into three periods of time. The first two running consecutively, the seven sevens and the 62 sevens. And that was the time when Messiah would come. Okay, so all of that panned out. Everything happened just as it was foretold. So now what? Daniel 9, 26. After the 62 weeks, an anointed one, or a Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So now things start getting kind of confusing. After the 483 years, Messiah came. But now it says he's cut off. And cut off means a few things. It means to kill something. But it also means to cut or make a covenant, referring to a custom of killing an animal for a covenant and cutting it in half, and then both parties of the covenant walk between the two halves, agreeing to the covenant. That was a custom back then. And so that word cut off, it obviously means was killed, because Messiah was killed, he was cut off. But it's interesting that that same word is used for covenant. 
in Genesis 21, 27, it says, So Abraham took sheep and an oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant, or they cut a covenant. So the word made is the same word translated cut off in Daniel chapter 9. So Messiah will be killed, and for a covenant he shall have nothing. And Jesus had nothing material except his clothes, which the soldiers took from him. No offspring, no land, nothing. So we can see how the puzzle pieces are fitting together nicely so far, hopefully. And then it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Now it gets more difficult. Not terribly difficult, but it involves those who are interested actually getting down, learning some history, and trying to sort through this on their own. It says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. Short and sweet answer is the people who shall destroy the city and sanctuary in the time of Messiah when he is cut off were the Romans. They are the people who in AD 70 destroyed the temple and the city of Jerusalem under General Titus, and it came as a flood, like it says. And ever since, Israel has been the target of persecution and war. And then the Jews were banished from Israel in AD 135, and now they had no homeland, no holy city, no temple. And this posed a huge problem for the Jews because their standing before God requires animal sacrifices by the law be made for atonement for their sin, and that can only occur at the temple. With no temple, no atonement. Desolations are decreed. Something desolate is something that has been destroyed or laid waste to, and it can also mean something that is astonishing or astonished. And this is exactly the nation of Israel's spiritual condition between them and God up to this present time. It is desolate. Now the prince. Who is this prince, and what do we need to know about him? The first thing is that he comes from the people who destroyed the temple and the city. That means he's connected to the Roman Empire, which basically ruled the world in the days of Jesus. But that empire is long gone, or is it? And this is debated among scholars and end times enthusiasts. The European Union is thought by some to be in the infancy of a new coming world order where a revived Roman Empire will emerge. So if this prince would be from the EU or its new form of it, that would explain it. This prince is also known as the coming world leader, the beast of revelation, the man of sin, the son of perdition, and the Antichrist. There's a few more names as well. So this prince who we're talking about in this chapter, this is the Antichrist. I'll use that name because it's the most familiar, even though it's only used a couple of times in Scripture. So after the expulsion of the Jews from their land and the destruction of the temple again, there was no nation Israel. And when we look at this through a Jewish perspective, it's evident that Israel's 490 years, it's not yet complete because the nation was non-existent after 135 BC. But looking back to God's promises, we find in a few places throughout the Old Testament that when God is ready to bring them back to their homeland, he will do so. In Leviticus 26.44, Yes, for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them, so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant with their forefathers, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God, I am the Lord. So you can see God is still interested in, No matter what degree of rebellion the Jews are in, he's still interested in being their God and honoring his part of the covenant. God has not cast off Israel. Rather, he has scattered them until that time when he wants to reestablish them in the land to re-engage their plan. And when he brought them back into their homeland after World War II and reestablished Jerusalem as their capital city in 1967, 
This should have sent a shockwave through the world, and many of those prophecies which predicted that they're coming back into the land, that should have created an international repentance because of this miracle predicted in the Old Testament, but it didn't. What happened was many in the world were enraged that the Jews were back in their land. We must understand who's behind this. This is God himself. This is his nation, and they play a key role in the final drama of planet Earth, yet very few believe, let alone care. So the countdown toward that final seven-year period continues, and that's where the prophecy's final verse picks up. The last seven years, bringing a close to the 490 years of the Jewish program and the coming of Messiah to establish his kingdom. So for now, God's plan for Israel is suspended after Messiah was cut off and Israel became desolate wanderers throughout the world with no holy city or temple or atonement or fellowship with God on a national level because the nation is scattered all over the world. So Daniel 9, 27, it says, And he, there's your Antichrist again, shall make a strong covenant with many for one week or one seven. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So he, referring again to the prince or the Antichrist, he is going to be somehow connected to that old Roman Empire. And this person, this prince, this Antichrist, will be in some sort of powerful political position to do business with Israel. What's interesting is this part of the prophecy was difficult to believe by many because for centuries there was no Israel. So they're like, ah, it must mean something else. And now, after nearly 2,000 years of desolate wandering by the Jews who are scattered throughout the whole world, these things are possible. So two things about this verse. The first thing is the Antichrist will be in a position to negotiate a covenant with Israel. And two, Israel must be a nation again in order for this to happen. And one of the components is already in place. And the Antichrist or the prince, has not yet been revealed. And that's why you see so many people ask the question about world leaders, presidents, and everything. Are they the Antichrist? I think I've seen nearly every president since I became a believer being accused of being the Antichrist. It's dumb, because nobody knows who this person is until this person is revealed. So this covenant, it's not spelled out what it really means, but we can assume a couple of things. One thing's clear, that in the middle of the seven years, the prince puts an end to sacrifice and offering. So this person may have the political power to negotiate with the Muslim trust that currently has authority over the Temple Mount, which would never allow to actually build the temple. So he's going to have to be pretty savvy, because when Islam came around 600 years after Christ, eventually a mosque was built on the Temple Mount of the Jewish Temple. And the Jews can visit the location, but they just can't pray there. And there's a lot of contention between the Jews and the Muslims over this holy site. And the Jews, they're now seeking to build their temple on the location, which hasn't really been a big thing for them, but now it's ramping up. They want their temple built. But that's not going to happen unless there's a radical change of heart by their Muslim neighbors. So if this prince has the political clout to secure a deal where the Jews can rebuild their temple, then he will be looked upon as their Messiah for the Jews who do not yet know Jesus, because there are Jews that know Jesus. They're called Messianic Jews. There's a bunch of them. And what's interesting is that in Islam, they also are expecting a Messiah-like person who will come and bring peace as well. So if this Antichrist can fool both Jew and Muslims into thinking that he is the Messiah, then it's plausible to think that he could broker a deal between both Jew and Muslim so they could build a temple on the Temple Mount next to the mosque. In any case, we know that during this period of time, this last seven years, a temple is built because that's where they're doing all their sacrifices. And by the way, Antichrist, it can mean false Christ or fake Christ as well as someone against Christ. But now what happens is this Antichrist 
in the middle of this final seven-year period, which would put him at three and a half years, he goes into the temple and declares himself God, and he stops all their sacrifices and offerings and says, look, you're going to worship me now. Now, for Jesus to declare himself God, which he did on a few occasions, it was true, because he was God in the flesh, and the entire foundation of Christianity rests upon this truth, because if Jesus was not God in the flesh, then his sacrifice on the cross would not have been sufficient to pay the debt for the sin of the world. You had to have something innocent to pay for something guilty. If Jesus was just a man, then he would have a sin nature like ours, and the sacrifice would be no good. Not to mention the fact all the other things that we as believers know, the supernatural side of things, we know he was God in the flesh. But the Antichrist taking the opportunity to show the world that he is worthy to be worshipped, now he stops the whole Jewish sacrificial system and says, you're going to worship me now. And this is the event referred to by Jesus as the abomination of desolation, and it doesn't go well for the Jews. So back to Daniel 9.27, again, he will make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolate. So he's the one who's on the wing of abominations. And what's going to happen is God's going to take care of him personally. During this time, the Jews, they're not going to be able to sacrifice or seek atonement from God, and their spiritual state again becomes desolate. And now paralleling this prophecy, we find other places in the scriptures where additional information is added, bringing about a clearer picture of this time. Jesus is still saving people throughout this time, and that goes all the way back to the resurrection. So anyone on planet Earth can receive Messiah, even in these times. The book of Revelation speaks of this final seven-year period of man's rule upon planet Earth, and Messiah is returning to set up his kingdom. So when this prince declares himself to be God, then everyone who understands this prophecy understands that they've got three and a half years left before Messiah comes and sets up his kingdom. Thank you.